Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. We're going to open our Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. We're continuing our series called Focus from the book of Colossians. And today's title is Don't Do It. Everybody say, Don't Do It. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute, but, but just don't, uh, don't, we're going to get into a couple things from this text, three things, in fact, that we're told not to do. Um, so so uh, I'll, I'll kind of wrap that back in in a moment about the, uh, the idea, because as I, again, as I was walking through Costco, uh, and occasionally I had to sneeze, and people, you could tell, you could just, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but being hypersensitive, but a feeling kind of like people were watching and worried, you know what I'm saying? Did anybody besides me, like, and th- have you seen this thing too? We're not supposed to touch our faces, right? Have you seen this? And I don't know if you've seen this, this poor lady, I feel so bad for her, but she was like, I don't know if she was on the, in the Center for Disease Control or who she was, but she's some kind of authority up there. And she's telling everybody now, and it's really important, don't touch your face. And she's turning pages on her notebook to try to t- go through her talk. And as she does, she reaches up and goes, you know. <laughs> and it's like become a meme. And it's like, I feel sorry for that poor lady, but that's just like, anyway, sorry, that was a distraction. Um, so do you have a good week all in all? You doing okay? All right, good, good. Mine was good too. I had another weird moment in a store on Wednesday. I went to a local department store. I needed to buy a quart of oil. And, uh, and uh, the oil costs, and I, I kind of bought a cheap brand, actually. It, it oil costs nearly $4. And I, some of you young people probably don't get this, but I'm like, that should not be. Right? I, re- I remember oil a lot, lot cheaper. I don't know what happened to oil. And it doesn't make any sense to me because, because gasoline, we can buy a whole gallon of gas... For, for $2.89, something like three bucks, right? And, and gas has to be refined from oil. So tell me how we're paying, you know, that much. It seems to me oil should be about 75 cents a quart, right? But I digress. Anyway, I went to pay for my oil, and I remembered as I got to the cash register, and, and basically when I, when I buy things that are small, I keep a, a cash in my wallet uh, all month long, pretty much. I just uh, and when I have small purchases, I don't like using the credit card for these small little things, and so I just use cash in a situation like that. And but I remembered as I got up there, I thought, well, the only thing I have in my wallet essentially is I had a one hundred dollar bill and a one dollar bill. Okay, which a one hundred dollar bill? Hey, that's not that much. Come on, don't act like that's a big deal. So I have a hundred dollar bill in my wallet. So it was my allowance for the month. Yeah. I get an allowance every month. It's pretty cool. Anyway, so. So anyway, I, uh, I, I went up to the register, and I put the oil down, and I won't tell you the department store because it doesn't matter, but, but anyway, the lady picked up the oil and uh, scanned it, and then I reached into my wallet, and I pulled it out, and I politely asked, can you take this? Right? Seems like a reasonable thing. And she, I don't know what the deal was, but she kind of got it, she got a real like, well, is that all you have? She got really angry with me. And so I opened up my wallet and I showed her the one that was in there beside it. I think she sort of glanced over at my credit card like, do that, do that. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and so she goes, and she lets out this big explosion of air. And then, yeah, that's what I thought. And so, and then, and then she starts mashing keys really hard on the register. Yeah. And then she's like, and, and rings it up. And when she does, the cash drawer slides open and she had to pick up that plastic tray. You know what I'm talking about? And she picks that up and shoves the hundred in there and slams it down. And then she starts digging for dollars, pulls up those bales, you know, bam. 
takes out a few 20s and a 10 and a 5 and, and digging for change, and she s- slams it down on the counter like, boom, 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 here's your change. Okay, and this is going on in front of me. This all taking about 30 seconds. But I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff that was going on in my mind at that moment. I'm sitting there thinking, what is your problem? First of all, I asked politely, Would you, is it okay? And why are you acting this way? And I, I came so close. In, in that 30 seconds, I had all these thoughts, and I'm th- I came so close probably two or three times to saying either what is your problem or, or do you think that's helping, right? <laughs> just being real today, people, just being real. And then I was standing in a place where I could see the manager of the store, And I was wishing so much that that manager would glance over that way and come over and reprimand this lady for freaking out. Oh, and by the way, she held up my my $100 bill to the light to look through it and see the watermark. I think she was hoping it was counterfeit so she could send me on my way or call the cops on me or something. So anyway, so she, she goes through this whole thing, finally picks up this pile of cash and change and shoves it in my hand. And, um, and all that time I was really, really close to saying something. Stuff's going on in my head. And about that time, the Holy Spirit interrupted my little tirade, internal tirade and said to me, what are you doing? I said, well, I started to explain myself to the Lord, you know. <laughs> and always remember, when the Lord asks a question, he's not looking for information. <laughs> he's just not. <laughs> and, uh, and he started to, to kind of challenge my thinking. And, and, uh, and he's re- he really didn't want to answer for me. He wanted my heart to change. And I said, you know, I decided, I decided that I felt judged by her in a very simple act. I felt judged in what she was, the way she was acting. And I felt, I, and, and then I began to judge her and condemn her in my heart because I felt like I was under judgment. Is this connecting at all? Do you do, you do this too or is, am I the only weirdo? Okay, let's be a whole bunch of weirdos today and be real for a second. So, so I... I and, and, it, you know, and again, all these thoughts can happen very quickly. I'm, I'm turning to go as the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. I, I said thank you very politely and walked away. And as I'm leaving, the, you know, just feeling this challenge from the Holy Spirit, and I suddenly had the thought, and uh, I want to have this thought more often about people, I thought there might be a lot more going on in this lady's life than, than I know. I, I don't know what she's faced today. I don't know why something so simple would be the straw, so to speak, that would break the camel's back, but it, it was just... It was pretty sad, and though, though you know, we might say, well, I don't deserve to be treated that way at the same time. I just felt like a, a, a God-given compassion for this woman. I don't know. That that, that that would make her so angry that she would lose it like that. And so, so I, felt bad. I felt bad in that moment that I had judged her, and even before I got to the door, I was already breathing just a, a quick little prayer for her as I was leaving the store. I thank God that in this case, and I could tell you a story about other times I have not done well, but in this case, I did hear from the Lord. But we all face stuff like this, don't we, right? So, so I want to pray for us, and then when we get into our text, I'm going to take it chunk by chunk, point by point, so just leave your Bibles open there, but, but let's pray first, and then we'll get into the Word. Lord, uh, thank you for an opportunity to be together and share in, 
in worship and in ministry time together and praying for and with each other. Thank you for this opportunity we now have in the Word. And God, I, I'm always cognizant of the fact that my words alone have no power to them. But because we preach the Word and because it's attended to by the Holy Spirit, I believe there's great power in this moment for each and every one of us to walk out different people than the time we walked in. And we want that, Lord. We don't want to stay where we are, but we want to become more like You, Jesus. So help this to happen in this next 30 minutes or so, I pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. So, so the first thing, the first point, if you will, is going to be don't let anyone judge you. Say don't do it. Let's read our, uh, uh, just the first two verses of our text. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Wow, there's just a, a bunch of nuggets right there. But, and I, you know, as I say every week, man, I could spend a ton of time just digging apart. But I just want to talk a little bit about this idea of, of uh, don't let anyone judge you. In in religion, listen carefully to my words now, there's always something you have to do to please God or get to God. That's religion. Uh, this is where Christianity is absolutely not religion in that sense. Christianity is the very opposite. It is God coming to man and doing everything for us. Right? He did it all for us. He takes care of, he, through the cross, he took care of our salvation. He took care of our lives. He's, he did it all for us. And, uh, and we don't have to do anything to get to God. But once we, of course, are believers, it is part of our nature. It's the fruit we bear that we do do good works. Right? Okay. So, but the, the, we have to understand the order of those things. We're saved, we're forgiven, and we are, we are uh, you know, we have that relationship with God. Uh, apart from any works whatsoever. So we stress often here that, that being a believer, being a Christian, is not strictly a religion, but it's a relationship with God, and it's through, through Jesus Christ. Now, verse 16, if you look again at it, it, it's a very stunning statement if you think about it. Notice where Paul is putting the onus. Notice the responsibility is on us not to let others judge us. That's interesting, Okay. Not to let others judge us. I mean, we, we, we usually go around saying, don't judge me, because people are going to judge, aren't they? But it's not up to you and me to allow their judgments to have any bearing on us, because there is one judge over us, and that's God. You see? And so, so we are, we are it, it says, don't let anyone judge you. But we have to qualify what kind of judging we're not to allow and this is where you have to just zero in with me for just a moment here because there, there's a specific kind of judging talk he's talking about. We're not to judge people with regard to what they eat or what they drink and whether or not they observe certain holidays, religious holidays or whatever, or what day they take a day of rest. Now, there's probably more things that could be on that list, but he, he named three that were specific to the church at Colossae. And, and, uh, but let me talk about, let me take just a part of that. Let me take the eating and drinking part for just a moment. Now, let me just say this, if you're a vegetarian or, or if you have any dietary things that you do because of personal feelings or, or maybe even you feel like God has spoken to you to, to eat a certain way, that's no problem at all. That is like, the, the, there's no issue with that at all. But I met a gal who was a vegetarian once who tried very desperately to convince me that it was more holy not to eat meat 
and that we were really never supposed to was her, her thinking. And, uh, and so, but, but there's, there's a lot of issues with that in the Bible, just to be real for a moment. God told man to eat meat, for one thing, right? So God is very contradictory. If he, after, after the flood, he says to Noah, hey, everything, all, all, that's given, all the meat's given to you to eat, right? And then, then he also, if you think about it, God also provided meat, provided quail for the children of Israel, okay? So, so would God act contrary to what was really, truly the best or holy for people? Or, and then further, he told the children of Israel, when it came to the Passover, to eat the Passover lamb, not to eat it all, to eat all of it. And, and Jesus himself, being a, a good Jewish man, raised up in the faith of the Jewish culture, would have always eaten, the, God, God himself ate lamb, do you understand? He would have eaten the Passover. And besides that, listen to this, even after he's resurrected, he ate fish with them. Okay, so it's, you don't have a leg of lamb to stand on to say <laughs> that it's more holy not to eat meat. But I, but I respect anyone's desire who, who has certain things in their lives that they feel that they should stand by. That's fine. And so, and so, so again, there should no be, not be judgment one direction on that, saying meat eaters, there's something wrong with you. And nor on the other hand, should there be judgment back toward someone who doesn't eat meat to say, hey, you shouldn't enjoy, you shouldn't, you should eat meat or something like that. So, so you're with me so far. That's kind of a practical. Now, now when it comes to drink, it it usually has to do, it's not talking about what kind of soda do you like to drink. (laughs) It usually has to do with alcohol, to be quite honest. Uh, When I first became a believer, it was generally understood in most circles that Christians didn't drink alcohol at all. There were some churches that were okay with it, but most of the churches we certainly traveled around with, it was pretty much taboo. It was not anything that was ever done. And, uh, And so I believe a lot of that began many years ago in America, um, because back in the late 1800s, drunkenness and alcohol was, there was a lot of alcoholism and drunkenness in America, believe it or not, in those days. And uh, it was so bad. And uh, you've heard me a few weeks ago mention the first and second great awakenings. And in the second great awakening specifically, there was a lot of preachers preaching, rightfully so, about the dangers of drunkenness because they were seeing the destruction of families and homes and and horrible things happening to people because they were drinking too much alcohol. With me so far? So in all of that, there became a revival that sprung up in America where people said, "I I won't drink alcohol anymore. But also out of that, culture changed. And even in our Congress of the United States of America, there was a drive and something called the prohibition was enacted where a, this is crazy to think about, but in our constitution, there was, uh, I think it was the 18th amendment said that it was illegal to sell or, or have alcohol, right? So, so the, in a good way, preaching against drunkenness stopped people in, in a spiritual way, but then it tried to be legislated through government, which is probably a bad idea. The, the, the least amount of government in our lives, probably the better, to be honest with you, when it comes to, because anytime we're trying to legislate, this, is, this actually pertains to the Bible because there's law in the Old Testament. Well, the whole purpose of the law was to prove that we couldn't keep it. It's impossible. And when you start making laws about things, it actually ends up creating more harm than good. And so from 1920 to 1933, there was a prohibition against alcohol, and, uh, and, and eventually that was repealed as a, uh, an amendment from the Constitution, and uh, probably rightly so. I, I just believe it, it didn't need to be there. 
But I think what happened is much of the church from those early 1900s continued on to say that alcohol, it should not happen, you should not drink alcohol at all. Now, of course, this has changed over time, and, uh, but I believe the emotives were originally good, that there was a good motive behind it to begin with. The problem is when we try to legislate or demand behavior from other humans, we overreach and end up with legalism. Right? Okay. Now, now, most of the church in America has gravitated away from the legalistic view that I just described, but what happened is the fact that there was a legalistic view for many years left this massive vacuum, and you know what happened, nature abhors a vacuum, they say, and what happened is, instead of Christians just simply enjoying a little bit of alcohol as a beverage, there has been a rush by believers to enter into the full stream of the way the world treats the beverage. And what happens is, Christians go on, and I have seen this, so I'm not making this up, but they go on to the point of getting drunk, which is forbidden by Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right there, we can make a clear distinction of what we're talking about today. Drinking a little beer, drinking a little wine is not, going, is not a sin. Uh, you know, and obviously, Jesus made wine and drank it. That's not, a, not the issue. But, but Jesus, I'll promise you, never got drunk. Okay? And that's the way it has to be. And, oh, stop. I just about went on a tangent. Don't need to do that. Okay. So, so um, my personal uh, conviction that the Holy Spirit spoke to me uh, back in 1983, or 80, uh, 82, excuse me, was that, that the Holy Spirit asked me not to drink any alcohol at all. So that, but that, that's a personal conviction. Do you understand? And so, so don't think, oh, you know, because I actually had a guy years ago come to me, and uh, because I didn't drink alcohol, that was a problem for him, and he actually literally left this church because I didn't, didn't drink. I, I'm being real, I'm just saying. So, it's weird stuff like that that begins to happen. So, uh, so anyway, I, back in 2001, and this is how the, it's, it's funny how judgment can start coming the other way, because it used to be people were judged because they would drink a little, right? And now the judgment sometimes comes the other way. One time I was at a wedding, uh, I mentioned my father had passed away a couple uh, Mondays ago, and, uh, but anyway, I was at a wedding, he happened to be there, I happened to be sitting next to him, and this was in 2001, my, my half-sister's daughter was getting married, and so um, everybody, everybody, everybody in the room ordered wine with dinner. Fine. I didn't. And, but I can't even begin to tell you the weird looks I got. And my father, who I had, again, very little interaction with, looked over at me, and he says, so you don't drink any wine, huh? And I said, no, I, I feel like God told me not to. And he just shook his head like, that's unbelievable. Like, I can't even conceive of a life without wine. And I'm like, but, but, but what am I going to do with that? And so, so there was no judgment on my part by not drinking wine and them having wine, but yet the judgment was coming back the other way. Are you with me on this? Does that sort of make sense? So, so while I'm on this subject, let me clarify a big, huge misunderstanding. A few weeks ago, we talked about human philosophies. Uh, you, know, you remember we talked about that, that there are certain ways of thinking that sound right, and maybe we even use the Bible as a quotation, and, uh, you know, but the devil even quoted Scripture, so... Right, So that isn't always, and still, but at the base of it, it ends up being incorrect and at best and causes harm at the worst. But there's one verse that all unbelievers know very, very well. It's quoted all the time in Hollywood. It's quoted all the time everywhere. Every unbeliever you know knows one verse of Scripture for sure. Do you know what that is? Judge not, lest ye be judged. I usually do the King James Version. I don't know why. But anyway, or ju don't, don't judge, right? Everybody knows that Jesus said that. 
And that's from Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. But, but there is, you know, like, like people look at that and think, well, there it is, clear as day, that's it, the statement's over. But, but is it really? Is that the end of the thought? Because the problem is you have to always read context. You have to read all of Jesus' words. And in fact, if you just keep reading a little more, we hear Jesus teach that a, a, a sort of a, a, a lesson that has visuals to it is sort of like a, not a parable, but it's just, it is a visual lesson here. And he says, he says basically, if you're going to remove a speck from your brother's eye or your sister's eye, first you better remove the what from your eye? The plank, right? The obvious indication is, hey, if you are doing the same things as what Jesus says, then you have to get rid of that. And so, so again, we tend to stop right there and say, well, how dare you judge me for a speck when you have a plank? But if we keep reading, the next verse is already up there. It says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and here's the key, and then, everybody say, and then, and then you'll be able to see clearly to what? Remove the speck. Now, if we're saying that the speck relates to sin, which it does, then to properly, listen, in those days, think, we have to think through, always, always look through at Scripture in the, try to put yourself in the time that it was spoken. We have mirrors today. If I have a speck in my eye, I don't generally need anybody else. I go and I look in the mirror and go, oh, there it is right there, right? But guess what they didn't have in those days? The best mirrors they had wouldn't have been helpful at all. And you know what you needed if you had a speck in your own eye? You needed somebody else. Come on, this is important. You need someone else to look in there and be helpful. And how delicately do you have to uh, operate to remove a speck from someone's eye? Okay? So the Lord is not saying don't judge at all. He's saying when you get into a situation with a brother or sister that they need judgment of some sort, you're going to do it very carefully, surgically almost, with an eye to helping them. And before you go there, make sure you're not doing the same thing. Get that plank out of the way so you can be helpful. So don't even start to judge someone else if you're already doing the same things. But you, we have to judge one another. We have to judge one another. And, and, and so like, since we're talking about alcohol, let me make this intensely practical. Again, drinking a little bit of beer or wine uh, you know, is permitted, but getting drunk is not. And so if I see drunkenness, I'm going to come you know, carefully, systematically, and say, brother, sister, that's not of the Lord for you. I'm going to help you hopefully remove that speck from your eye. Is that fair? Is that right? However, if I'm a drunkard and I'm disobeying the Bible, you know, then, then I can't judge you. For, look, look. Let me show you two more verses about this and then we'll move on. 1 Corinthians 5.12, uh, Paul says this. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Now, here's another thing we need to understand. We are not to judge the people in the world. If they're drunk, we can care for them, but don't judge them. That's... that's let God be the judge of people in the world. I'm talking about brothers and sisters. Do you understand the difference in what I'm saying here? We're not to judge the people in the world. He says, uh, what business is it of mine to judge those on the outside? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And then he goes on in chapter 6. He says, do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? 
right? <laughs> I mean, that's, we're getting ready for eternity. We're going to judge the world. And if you will judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? So we're not to say, and so we can't fall to the human philosophy that says do not judge. And so anytime we feel a judgment in our heart that is a good judgment for help someone, that we're out of line. We're not out of line, but we need to do it carefully. We need to do it. See, it's not judging itself, which is being prohibited at all. It's really being judgmental. That's where we need to check our hearts. Let's not be judgmental. We're to judge one another in the church and let God judge those in the world. When Jesus says do not judge, Understand the context, okay? All right, all right. So don't let others judge you. Like within that context, he's saying don't let anyone judge you. It is specific to the things listed here and assumes that you don't have a plank in your eye. Okay, all right. So if somebody else seems to be looking down on you because of what you eat or drink or how you celebrate in your life or when you take your Sabbath day, and I suppose some others we could add to that list, but specifically for this context, it like don't, don't do it. So don't let others judge you. Don't do it. Everybody say don't do it. All right, next part, starting with verse 18. The second point is this. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Here we go. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen, and they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. This is a different kind of judgment. It's based on beliefs rather than actions. Okay? There are always people who come along and present themselves as spiritually more enlightened and in the know. We're really in the know. And I've met met many people who've come to me, and right off the bat, they'll introduce themselves to me, and they'll say, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm an apostle. I can't tell you how many people have said that to me. And that's always strange to me, and it took me years to figure out what was going on. I thought, what is this deal? And it's usually people that have, they're not going to church anywhere, they're not submitted to any authority anywhere, and they come to me and introduce themselves as apostles. And I'm, I kept questioning God, like, what is that? Why is it apostle? And it finally dawned on me, because in Ephesians it lists the different ministries in the church, and it says, and God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I believe that those who read that say to themselves, apostles is first on the list because apostle is the highest in the order if there's a rank. And what they want to do is come into the church and present themselves as having some kind of authority over the church, right? But the problem is that God gave the leadership of the local church to pastors, this is what the scripture teaches. And so what ha- needs, to, I'm not saying there aren't apostles, for sure. There are. In fact, I don't, I don't believe they would self-describe this way, but Gary and Paula Hayes are apostles. They are doing the things that apostles do. They have influence over many leaders. Uh, they've started a movement. There's churches and nations, and they're connected. You don't understand what I'm saying. This is the, the apostolic kinds of ministry that's going on in the world around us. It hap- it's happening. But, but the, these people I'm talking about are people that are bouncing around, they're not submitted to authority, and they think that they, by coming in and announcing they're an apostle, it means that I'm going to go ahead and let them, you know, r- run the place, I guess. I don't know. Not going to happen, okay? 
So, so th- that's one example. There's others who use hyper-spiritual language, words that they think, using these words and phrases, it sounds, it so, it sounds like a mystery that they're talking about, some kind of weird, intricate details. And they use words and phrases, and, and they say things in such a way, and I've got to be honest, sometimes I'll just sit there and listen to someone, and I, I hear a lot of words that I understand. In fact, I understand all the words, but the way they put them together, it's absolute nonsense. It's just nonsense. And, and to be honest with you, I have no idea what they're even talking about. I've, I've run across this many times. Uh, this is kind of a little bit different, but back in the mid-90s, I, I was the primary worship uh, pastor at our church in Ellensburg. And, and at that time, uh, most of the worship tunes that we did came from a ministry called Integrity Hosanna Music. They set out CDs, I think, every two months, so six times a year. They, they were CDs that were sent out, or it used to be cassettes originally. <laughs> Can you imagine? And then CDs, uh, and on it would be a bunch of new music. You could order songbooks to learn how to play the songs. There was no internet in those days, really, to speak of. Uh, there was nothing available as a resource. And so this is how you got resourced on some new up-and-coming songs. They, they, there was a wide variety of stuff, and we got a lot of great songs from them, but it wasn't the only thing we did. And so we, about 70% of our songs, I would say, came from Integrity Hosanna at that time. One time, these three young men, I, they were college-age students in Ellensburg, and they came to church and met me after the service and said some nice things about our worship there and asked if they could meet with me. I said, sure. So they came in the next day, and, and we got together, and the gist of our conversation was that they liked our worship but thought we were out of touch with the kinds of songs and the, the songs that we were singing and felt like we would be much better off to do vineyard songs. In fact, and Vineyard was a different group that was putting out CDs, and, and, and in fact, we already did some Vineyard songs. We didn't happen to do any that Sunday, but we already did Vineyard songs, and, and uh, they were good, and, but they, their insinuation was that you should do all Vineyard songs to be cool, right? Just do them all, you know. And... Um, and by the way, we're always open to hearing new ideas and new things. And if you have a, a song that you're just enthralled with, you know, uh, you know tell Rhonda, tell me. Uh, we, we'll, we'll take a listen. But not everything that's presented to us can we do. Do you understand? I mean, we just can't. And, and though an idea or a song may be a good one, we may not even feel released of the Lord to do it. It might not be for us for some reason, and we don't even know why. So, so I listened to these four, three guys, and I, I simply replied that we were doing what we felt like God had called us to do, and we were open to God giving us other direction. But that was the last time I ever saw them. They closed themselves off. Uh, and and I, I've always thought back to that time because the timing of it was interesting. Little did they or really anyone know that God was already raising up another voice in worship that actually was even blew the doors off everything. And there's this uh, woman named Darlene Check who was writing a song called Shout to the Lord, which uh, many of you may know, in 19, I think, 95. And she's writing this song and burst it onto the scene from uh, Sydney, Australia. And along with that, Hillsong music came. And then out of Hillsong came uh, a ton. Like there is a plethora of amazing resources and worship teams. Even my son Alex has written some that, that they did over in uh, the Puyallup Church that we have done here. Um, you know, I'm just saying there's so many resources for great worship right now. I love it. Even when I went to Thailand, uh, we, we, I was at this church and they were singing in Thai, shout to the Lord. I could sing right along with them. It was amazing. Uh, just, just cool. So, so the point is that these young men came in uh, as authorities in what was spiritual and tried to make the church what they wanted it to be rather than letting local leadership hear from God and let the church be what he wants it to be. It is his church, after all, don't you agree? 
<laughs> I guess God should be able to say what he wants here. The bottom line with all this, very quickly, is it's, it is our responsibility to not let others disqualify us in any way from what God has called us to do. And I, So I've been talking in terms of church, but now in your own life, don't let anybody look down on you and say, you can't do that for God. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't, don't either by their supposed authority, their hyper-spiritual language, or their superior knowledge or insight. This is exactly what the Gnostics of the day were trying to do in the church at Colossae. They were trying to sound so spiritual that people would think, oh, you guys really must know something, when they really didn't know what they were talking about at all. They'd gotten it all wrong. So don't let others disqualify you by making you think you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, you don't know God well enough. Don't let that happen. Don't do it. Everybody say, don't do it. So don't let others judge you. Don't let them disqualify you. And this is our conclusion. I'd like the worship team to come on up. This is our third and final point. Don't belong to the world. Don't belong to the world. The last four verses, starting in verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In 1 Corinthians, Paul will say these words about the world in in Chapter 7, verse 31. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. This world is passing away. The things we think are so sure around us, the things we believe are so solid and important, they're passing away. If our hope is in our great nation, our way of life, our bank account, our retirement, we've missed the point of what living for God is really all about. Because this world, in its present form not will pass away, is passing away. It's actively passing away before our eyes. Isn't it interesting how quickly things that seem so sure could be shaken? For instance, let me go back and talk about the coronavirus for a moment. How quickly fear and panic have settled into the world. How quickly world economies can be disrupted. How quickly the world can change around us. We, we need to realize that all that we have could vanish in an instant. Our retirement funds, our savings, our social security, our paid off mortgage, they're only as good as the stability of this government. And if world history teaches us anything, it teaches us that governments come and go. If your hope is in America, listen, I love our nation. I absolutely adore I think it's the best nation on earth. I've been to a lot of different countries. Thank God I've had an opportunity to travel in my life. There's no place like home, people. There's no place like home. But my hope is not in this home. My hope's in that home. My hope is in heaven. We're... Where, where my true citizenship is. This is. I cannot undersell, I cannot say enough about this point. It is so important for us as believers to grasp this and understand this world is not our home. We need a mentality that says, my real home is heaven. More or less, I'm just camping right here. This is just a temporary, this is like, yeah, this is a little time out here, but, but what's waiting for me is the permanence and the stability of forever with God. So often we think that we want a normal life, and, but normal is getting dressed in clothes that you, you buy for work, driving through traffic in a car you're still paying for, 
to get to a job that you need so you can pay for the clothes, the car, and the house that you leave empty all day just to afford to live in it. This world, in its present form, is passing away. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. So we've got to make sure, and as we've been, the, the title of this series is Focus, we've got to make sure that our focus is on the Lord and our real home. We've got to make sure that's where our focus is. This passage starts with, listen to this, he starts with these words Paul does. He says, since you died, it's past tense in the Greek and in the English. It's speaking of a, the, the way that, that it's an errorist tense, and it, it is speaking of a past completed action. Since you died, it's already happened. You died with Christ. Death means this, it means separation. We came to faith in Christ, submitted our lives to Him as Lord, we died to the world and we were separated from it. That's what this is saying. So I'm asking you today, can we figure out how to live life and enjoy life without becoming engrossed in it, engrossed in the things of this world, and, and really get a focus that is heavenward that says, this earth is not my home, I'm just passing through, hallelujah. That is an important thing for us all. Let's stand. My little encounter at the store this week is, is so, so much a nothing. It's basically a next to nothing. On the Richter scale of earthquakes of life, the needle barely shuddered a little. Do you understand what I'm saying, right? But when we take Paul's words to heart here and, and decide not to let others judge us or disqualify us, then we're not bothered by the way people are treating us. Right? Because this isn't our home. You... I know who I am. This is what's so great about this defined study that we're doing. I know who I am in Christ. And, and the judgment that you're pouring out on me for one reason or another, it's, it's just bouncing off of me because, uh, you know, I'm talking about unjust judgment at this point. But it's just, it, it just bounces off of me because I know who I belong to. I know this world isn't my home. And I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be bothered in a moment when someone's treating me unfairly. But most importantly, this final point, when we realize that we died with Christ and this world is in our home, that's when we can live redemptively in this broken and fallen world. Amen. So don't do it. Everybody say it again. Don't do it. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.